Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another um, session of our national conference, which is through the United Through Heritage Virtual Event Series. My name is Angela Samos with Palkus. And today we're talking about the role of the University Centers of Portuguese Language and Culture, um, because there are several that exist and really not sure if, if folks in the community understand the true purpose of having these centers and all that they do. And so we're raising awareness of their programs and really talking about how we can um, have the community better engage with these programs. But first, before we begin, I do have a few opening slides to thank our sponsors for making this virtual event series possible. FLAD uh, was the major underwriter, so thank you, FLAD. And we do have a short message from them right now. Levar os portugueses mais longe. Ser uma ponte entre Portugal e os Estados Unidos da América. Esta é a missão da Fundação Luso-Americana para o Desenvolvimento. A FLAD nasceu em 1985, na sequência do Acordo das Lages, e por aqui passaram até hoje milhares de pessoas e ideias que ajudámos a transformar em realidade. Promovemos a partilha de conhecimento e experiências através de bolsas de estudo, estágios, prémios e conferências, unindo os dois lados do Atlântico. Trabalhamos diretamente com a comunidade portuguesa nos Estados Unidos. Queremos contribuir para que o papel dos luso-americanos seja cada vez mais forte e para que as origens portuguesas sejam continuamente celebradas. Nesta ligação atlântica surgem, claro, os Açores. Pela sua importância geoestratégica de segurança e defesa, científica e cultural, são um ponto essencial na atividade da FLAD. Somos ciência, educação, arte e relações transatlânticas. Há 36 anos a contribuir para o desenvolvimento de Portugal e dos portugueses. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Lico Ribeirão, Portugalia Marketplace in Fall River, Massachusetts, and to UMass Lowell, Anchor Construction, Atlantis Agency, Navigator Company, and MDVIP. And one final ask is if you do find these sessions valuable, uh, you enjoy the discussions and think that they are contributing to the um, you know, continuation of our community, we urge you to become a PALCAS member today because your support helps us to uh, maintain these sessions for free to the entire community. And with that, <clears throat> we'll get back to the discussion at hand. So thank you to our esteemed panelists for joining. Uh, I'm going to have each of them introduce themselves. So just spend a few minutes, um, your, you know, who you are, the center that you're with, and a, a, a little bit about um, the, the mission of your center and the programs that you, that you lead. Um, I'm going to start with the top right of my screen, which is uh, Dr. Frank Souza. You're on mute, Dr. Souza. <laughs> I was on mute because of my chihuahua who was barking loudly. Um, it, it's a pleasure to be with, with everyone today. I'm uh, Frank Souza. I'm the founding director of the uh, South Center for Portuguese Studies at uh, UMass Lowell, uh, and was at one time the founding uh, director of a center at UMass Dartmouth, and uh, which is now so ably uh, uh, represented by our colleague here, uh, Paula. Um, and um, uh, so uh, the, the center was established in 2013-14, uh, and it organizes a series of events, colloquia, uh, a lot of exhibitions, and the most recent of the, uh, uh, of the initiatives of the center is the uh, uh, Greater Boston Portuguese American Digital Archive, uh, 
uh, which was made possible by a $300,000 grant from the William M. Wood Foundation. You would think that's a very American foundation, and it is, uh, but the fellow was born Guilherme uh, Silva. Uh, uh, and it's an interesting story on, on its own right. But more than anything else, in terms of my identity, as Denise pointed out earlier, I'm the brother of Father Emmanuel, the pastor of Our Lady of the Assumption in Turlock. And for now, I'll leave it there. Thank you, Archisa. Um, Tanish. Uh, thank you all. Uh, I don't have a brother that who's a priest, so I'm just going <laughs> to have to be on my own. Uh, but I believe that uh, uh, our good friend Frank was mentioning that because indeed that did happen to me just about two months before the pandemic. I was in Turlock and I was talking about Frank. And uh, someone mentioned to said, Frank Souza, I don't know. And then I said again, yeah, Frank Souza, teachers here, you know, yeah. And they said, oh, we don't do Padre Manuel. So, you know, that's, uh, uh, it, it's one of those uh, uh, things that that's the way it is. Uh, but I don't have a famous brother who's a priest, but um, I do, I was going to go into priesthood. That's about as close as I got. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you all for being here. Uh, um, it's a pleasure to be here with everyone. Thank you for the invite, uh, Angela. Uh, PBBI is the name of the Center, Portuguese Beyond Borders Institute. It is kind of a baby. Uh, it is a baby. It began in 2019, so two years ago. And it uh, came out of a project that the Luso American Education Foundation had done, which was the strategic plan for the teaching of the Portuguese language in California. We have one uh, that uh, is, was called Portuguese Beyond Borders. It was put together uh, by community leaders uh, from different parts of California. And from there, uh, with the uh, Luso American Education Foundation Agreement, uh, we, we gave the name to, these, to the center. So it began in 2019, February of 2019, where basically um, we work with three different colleges, although we work with all of the different uh, colleges at the university, but we're housed in three colleges the College of Social Science, Arts and Humanity, and the Jordan College of Agricultural Science and Technology, because it began basically before the uh, Institute as an exchange program between the University of the Azores, the Terceira campus, which is dedicated to ag in part, uh, and the Jordan College of Agricultural Science and Technology, which by the way, uh, sort of like Frank, it doesn't have a very, it, it, it actually is called Jordan College because of a grant of $28 million, a grift that was given to the uh, university for the ag department. Um, and then became the Jordan College, not very Portuguese, but uh, his uh, first, his name was Aníbal Jordão. Um, and so um, the social science, because of our oral history project in the College of Arts and Humanities, where we have most of the other projects. So we are concentrating on a couple things. We have a lecture series, and the conference series every semester. And we also have a Portuguese oral history project that is where we spend a lot of our efforts have spent, especially in the last 14 to 18 months, even with the pandemic. Uh, oral history is something that we needed really badly here in Central California. It's been done in uh, different parts, including UC Berkeley did a fine job with Yulinda <laughs> up in the Bay Area and throughout California as well. And so uh, we will have, um, we continue to we've establish also Bruma Publications and we have a community of historian writers that we just began and a couple of other events. We are independent from the Portuguese studies program. So uh, the center basically works with the three different colleges and with uh, various 
projects at the university, but of course we work closely with the Portuguese Studies Program, but we are not a part of the Portuguese Studies Program. Thank you, Denise. Um, Paula. Sorry, didn't need to put you on the spot there. <laughs> Just going in order of my screen. There we go. She's working on it. There we go. All right. Thank you. I, your your order is not my order. That's that's that's. I know, I, right? So yeah. <laughs> so thank you, uh, thank you for the invitation, um, and thank you to the viewers. Um, I'm Dr. Paula Nogorsa. I'm director of the Center for Portuguese Studies and Culture here at the University of Massachusetts in Dartmouth. Um, as, as Frank uh, noted, um, Frank Sousa is in fact uh, was the person who created the Center for Portuguese Studies and Culture in 1996. Uh, he founded it um, and eventually uh, through uh, again his leadership, uh, they also created a separate Portuguese department um, which also became known. Uh, internationally for its graduate program. Um, besides that, in 2001, uh, we had the establishment of the Helio and Emilia Pedroso Luso-American Development Foundation Endowed Chair, which has brought to this university um, outstanding scholars uh, for one semester every year for the past uh, 14 years. It's been really, um, really extraordinary in that. Uh, in 2003, the center launched a two book series, which again developed into something much more, uh, which was the creation of Tagus Press, um, a press that is known internationally uh, for, in particular, its translations of classic works in Portuguese lang language uh, into English. Um, and then finally in 2009, we had the creation of the Fredemans Portuguese American Archives, uh, the largest Portuguese American archives in the United States. So the center um, is extraordinary in that it has many, many things um, happening at the same time. Um, the key mission of the center is to promote Portuguese culture, um, both within the college community um, and in the greater community. Um, and I would say also internationally now uh, with, its, um, with its press and also because of the archives. Um, the center has served the community in just outstanding ways. The center has created a, a series of colloquia, conferences, uh, talks, uh, it's brought scholars to the campus and then opened it up to, to the community. It's taken scholars and, and taken the talks to the community using different venues within the community. Um, we've had workshops, we have film series. Um, it's, it's a very, very vibrant um, part of the community. And I would say it's a vibrant part of the Portuguese community um, internationally, not just not just here, not just in England, um, I think internationally. Great, thank you, Doctor. Um, Dr. Almeida, you're next. Hi, um, thanks for uh, inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here with old friends. Uh, I also uh, don't have a brother who's a priest, but my brother has a brother <laughs> who was a seminarian. And uh, um, so uh, 
about uh, me and the department, uh, who I've been at Brown since 1975, well, since 1972, but in 1975, George Monteiro started the Center for Portuguese Brazilian Studies, and the center became a department. And the main mission of the department is really uh, the the graduate program. We have every year we have two new graduate students who come in. We have a cohort of two. Uh, 12 graduate students every year, all paid by Brown, and they come for six years. We have formed close to 40 uh, PhDs who are teaching Portuguese throughout the country. And uh, so this has, this has been our main mission. But we do other things. Of course, we teach undergraduate courses, and uh, uh, but we, do, we have three journals. We have the Gavio Brown uh, uh, Journal for Portuguese American Letters and Studies. We have the Journal for Portuguese History, mostly for Portuguese history in English, the only journal in English. <clears throat> Sua Plural is the only international journal on Fernand, the only journal specialized on Fernand Sua. <clears throat> and we have also the Gavirman Press, but uh, um, uh, yesterday we talked about this. And uh, we do all kinds of other things, uh, the communities, community run here, community at large, and we all involved everywhere all over the world where uh, 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 we are asked to, to cooperate. And we have been doing our best to always, always cooperate with all the other departments and all the other centers of Portuguese studies in the United States. You know that uh, we have always been open to all sorts of cooperations here with, 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 with institutions here and the Azores and uh, Portugal and Brazil. And this has been uh, our uh, attitude and we always open to cooperate. And this is why you know, I could not say no to this uh, get together today to talk about uh, uh, what we are doing. Excellent. Thank you, Dr. Almeida. Dr. Adele. Good morning, everyone. Or I guess for some of you, maybe afternoon already. Um, and thank you for the invitation. It's a great pleasure to participate in this uh, program. So I am at the Center for Portuguese Studies at UC Berkeley. The center has close to about 30 years now, close to 30 years. We're housed in the Institute of European Studies. And as such, we work with the university as a whole. So our main purpose is to connect um, Portugal and the academic community uh, at Berkeley, both by sending students uh, and sometimes faculty to research in Portugal, but also bringing uh, Portuguese scholars, be it um, professors or mostly PhD candidates in Portugal who come to Berkeley to conduct research. Uh, our second, if uh, as such, we, we collaborate with everyone. Of course, we have many events. We have sponsored exhibits, uh, large scale exhibits. We've had an exhibit around uh, on the 20, about the 25th of April on uh, a few years back that uh, was at the Doe Library for six months. So we, we uh, promote many events uh, and many conferences uh, that I, it would be impossible to name them all. And uh, we have one caveat, which is we manage um, por a portion, 50% uh, of the revenue from the Pinto Fialon Fund. And this is a very special fund. It was a bequest by Mr. Pinto and subsequently by his friend, Ms. Fialon who fund uh, Portuguese and the Portuguese American students at Berkeley. 
The fund is exclusively for students. There are no administration costs permitted to take from the, the grant. And the grant, um, and many of my panelists um, know, have children or no children, no students who benefited directly from this fund. And we are able to give scholarships on a yearly basis um, to Portuguese uh, citizens, students who are Portuguese citizens or uh, students who are Portuguese American. The student has to be either American or Portuguese of citizenship, and they have to be, of course, uh, registered at Berkeley. Um, and we do this for undergraduates, grad, uh, masters, and PhDs. So we also have opportunities for other Berkeley students to, and we do assist them to go to study in Portugal, uh, either for research or to take classes in Portugal, mostly through the our agreement with SIPIN, which is a program of FLAD. We are, um, our fund, our center is funded by FLAD. It was created by FLAD precisely because of the presence of the Pinto Fund. We have agreements with Fulbright and FLAD, as well as other entities to collaborate in uh, and sort of make uh, mixture uh, grants. So in order to facilitate the, the travel and, and, the, and the stay of students in Portugal for longer periods of time. And mostly this is our activity. Of course, we promote things, events for them, for the community as well, but that is not our main focus. Our main focus is to, for the exchange of research between Portugal and here in all areas of study, because we work with the entire university. And we have one coming up that will be on climate change. Uh, that is a, a European Union program, uh, but that will feature the Portuguese presence at the European Union since locally, uh, Portugal is still the president, sort of acting president of the European Union for the for California because we don't have uh, the, the the country that is that is now president has now holds the presidency does not have a, 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 a council or a or an embassy here. So we will be doing a series of, series of events with the European Commission uh, uh, that focus uh, Portuguese researchers and Portuguese representatives. Great. Thank you. Um, Dr. Dessa, or is it Dr. Kraya Dessa? Yeah, it works. I don't know. <laughs> it works either way. Uh, thank you for the invite. So it's a great pleasure to be here. Uh, I'll start by saying that my brother is an engineer, but I'm sure I will find a few priests. I mean, you know, great parents, great grandparents, <laughs> lots of them. Uh, so I'm an assistant professor uh, in the Spanish and Portuguese department at UC Santa Barbara. And I'm also a member of the Center for Portuguese Studies uh, of UC Santa Barbara. So our Center for Portuguese Studies uh, is an outreach unit. We are housed in the Spanish and Portuguese department. And we are dedicated to promoting the language and culture of the Portuguese-speaking world. Um, the center was founded in 1979 uh, by an endowment settled by, by Carlos Tobinkin Foundation to UCSB. And our uh, key goals, of course, have to do with promoting uh, the Portuguese classes and, and Portuguese culture, hosting colloquia conferences, seminars. We have an important uh, library in Lusophone studies. 
we have been also very active in terms of sponsoring publications, uh, granting scholarships, those kinds of things. And it's also important to say that the Center of Portuguese Studies has been playing a very significant role within our department, uh, particularly by attracting uh, graduate students, outstanding graduate students, and sponsoring journals, publications, and of course, organizing um, important scholarly conferences and, and events. So basically, it's, it's, it's it. Great, thank you. And Dr. Oliveira. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm happy to go um, to do this presentation after UCSB, being a graduate of, or <laughs> that being my alma mater for graduate studies. Um, my name is Silvia Oliveira, and I direct the Institute for Portuguese and Lusophone World Studies at Rhode Island College. And uh, as you may know, Rhode Island, the state of Rhode Island may be the smallest in the union, but or in the nation, but it has the highest percentage of Portuguese uh, speakers, Portuguese and Luso Portuguese speakers and Lusophone heritage in the United States. Um, so. The Institute was launched in 2006, and it is a non-traditional academic center at Rhode Island College. Uh, in 2010, it was approved for permanent status by the Rhode Island Board of Governors for Higher Education. The Institute is uh, comes under or is housed in the Faculty of Arts and Sciences. Uh, so it is not directly connected with the department, the mother languages department, unlike uh, other institutes. And, um, it, and it, it has a governing body or an advisory body, uh, advisory board uh, made up of community members and uh, Rhode Island College faculty members uh, as well. Um, so part, the, the three part mission of the Institute uh, is to primarily support and promote the Portuguese studies academic program at Rhode Island College. And this is an interesting detail about the Institute for Portuguese and Lusophone World Studies at Rhode Island College. Uh, the Institute was created so that the academic program uh, would be implemented at the college. So two years or three years after the Institute um, uh, was approved for permanent status at Rhode Island College, then the academic program was uh, initiated. Uh, another part of the mission of the Institute is to bridge the connection between Rhode Island College and the Lusophone community. And the third one is to pursue scholarly and cultural uh, research in the areas of Portuguese language and Lusophone cultures. And that has been uh, all three of these, the parts of these mission of the mission have been uh, pursued at Rhode Island College. Um, we, uh, uh, we have uh, events uh, all throughout the year that uh, support both the academic, the students in the academic program and are open to, to the community because the Rhode Island College is located uh, in a central area, central urban area, um, the, the communities uh, very often at the college, but the Institute also goes to the community, uh, both uh, uh, in Providence and in other areas areas of the state. So that is a very brief presentation of the Institute. 
Great, thank yeah. you. And let me just say that none of my brothers are priests, and if they had tried to, I'm sure they would have gotten kicked out of the seminary. So now that we've taken care of that. Um, well, thank you all. I have had the pleasure of visiting some of your centers, not all, uh, but it is on the bucket list. And I'm, you know, the, the theme of this conference was, you know, united through heritage, but also the future of our community. So I'm wondering, uh, and we'll take volunteers, we're not gonna go any specific order. Can you talk about some of the, whether it's events, in the last couple of years, Zoom uh, sessions, or anything that has, really resonated with the community that, you know, maybe this event, you had a lot of attendees and maybe some others you didn't. So what were some of the things that your your center has done that it has been really well received by the community um, and that you would, you know, would like to do more of? Um, and because that could be something that other centers do or even uh, organizations uh, in the community can take. So, Angela, if I could just sure. say a word about centers, the, the importance of centers of how they function at a university. Uh, they have, they're independent from departments and just as important, independent from the, uh, the language departments that might have mm -hmm. a multitude of languages, several languages offered. So it offers a freedom to do things and to develop programs that would be very difficult to do within a department. And so point. it's what Dinesh was referring to, how his center is independent from the Portuguese program. But just as important, I could probably, he could probably agree, is that it's also independent from, in general, the language department. And so it allows him to do things. And so in a university system where fundraising is so important, a, a, in, in, in regions where there are considerable number of Portuguese Americans residing there, uh, a center can have an amazing impact and an amazing ability to connect to the community that a department does not. A department is within a very fixed structure, a, a sort of a silo within the university. A center is much more malleable and much more easily able to reach out to the community. And the community can have an impact through a center that it could never have through a department. And so it, for the people who are listening to us, if they, if they live in a region that it has a considerable Portuguese population and a Portuguese population that inevitably uh, in 2021 has arrived in many uh, respects in American society, both in wealth and culture, et cetera, is that community can have a vehicle to have a real impact and the university vice versa has that vehicle that it can be used to have an impact on the region. And so I just wanted to say that in terms of how it is the centers work, the independence of them, and how centers can be uh, multi-discipline, uh, uh, as, as Denise suggested earlier, and, and Diolinda, so that they can do things uh, that a department cannot. And so it's in the position to connect to the Portuguese community. Uh, and the community need, needs to take advantage of this, given the tremendous pressure that is brought to bear on chancellors and presidents of university to do fundraising, the community is now in a position to do things to uh, affect changes within a university that, let's say, 30 years ago would have been, 40 years ago would have been much more difficult, if not impossible. Much more difficult, though, of course, as Onesimo and George Monteiro showed, they could do it in the 19, early 70s at, at Brown. But I just wanted to say that as sort of, for people to understand how it is a center can have an impact that a department cannot, and why you would want to create a center to do these amazing things like create a press uh, and do all these things that a department would not be able to do as, as a rule. 
Thank you. That's an important point. Anyone else want to um, take a stab at answering the, the initial question about things that have worked well? Maybe some of the ones that are a little bit uh, older than two years old can 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 uh, can uh, take a, a first stab at it because uh, we've had some things that worked well, but you know we're so new. So I'd like to hear from some of the other centers first. Well, for, we for us. Oh, Sorry, sorry. I, I was on mute because the telephone rang here, and I'm sorry. Um, I, I can say a few things about, about this. Uh, in the beginning, we were very concerned with uh, doing things for the community, and uh, we still do. We do even nowadays. We we really we cannot expect the community to come to some events that are not really for the community. So, even though all our events are open to anybody, every single lecture at run is open to anybody. All our journals are open; anybody can go and access them. So that's it. This is, but but we had to really um, think of. Uh, uh, things in a much broader term. Uh, our journals are uh, uh, to be read by anybody all over the world. Um, uh, we, uh, when we organize international conferences, uh, they are open to anybody in the community and people come, but uh, we uh, uh, open them to everybody anywhere. So um, this, uh, uh, this is, uh, so it's, it's clear that we want the community involved, but we don't depend on it and we don't do it just for them. But we, the, 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 we realize also that, for instance, here at Brown, it's not easy for people to come to Brown. Some of them don't feel comfortable, parking is maybe complicated. So what we've decided to do is this, we co-organize things with uh, organizations around here. We have been doing now uh, lots of things with the back to the Whaley Museum. The Whaley Museum is playing a very important role now in uh, uh, promoting uh, uh, tonight. We have uh, an event, um, uh, a lecture, the fourth of a Portuguese lecture series. We are having three to four a year. Uh, and uh, so they have their outreach and we do this with them. I organize it, but I don't do it at Brown. It is, uh, 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 it's much better to do it to do it in either for River or New Bedford or when we had the Casa do Sorge here in East Province, lots of events. When we had Portuguese speakers, we organized them at the Casa do Sorge because everybody would go there. They it was right right next to the church. They were used to go there, and we had always a much larger presence. But so we decided to to this event is good for the community. So let us go to the community where the community can go. Uh, again, uh, all the events around here. Uh, were, are, and will always be open to the community. So, um, uh, th these are. Uh, this is the approach that we've been uh, we've, we've been taking, and uh, but we again we cannot expect the community to come for a specialized conference on solar. But there are people out there who are interested. Let them come, and you know the more the merrier. And uh, so you have to really differentiate and and and. Uh, don't expect the community to be interested in all the things that academics right. are interested true. in. True, true. Delina, I think you were also going to say something. Well, I was actually going to say much of what Onesim said. Uh, <laughs> because, uh, yeah, just like Brown, many of the events we, we host and uh, we promote are scientific events. Um, that have an interest to a particular group of people. There are, of course, we do try to um, do events that are have musical, that are, have musical performances and uh, poetry readings and things of that nature. 
and we do collaborate with um, again the, we we have a much smaller Portuguese community in our area, mm -hmm. uh, but there is a a group in San Pablo which is sufficiently close, and we do collaborate with them in many in many ways. Uh, sometimes providing a means ways for them to host us and for them that being a fundraiser uh, which serves our purposes and their purposes and we try to collaborate as well as we can with with the community uh, with sponsored films and mostly performative uh, events um, of course the can again just like as you said the community is uh, is welcomed and and to any event we have we have community representation on our board, uh, but the truth of the matter is that if they're afraid to go to Brown, they're even more afraid to come to Berkeley. <laughs> it's sort of like all kinds of horrible things are gonna happen. <laughs> um, but uh, so we, we, we do have that to try to also take it out a little bit uh, and solve it that way. Uh, I think uh, Brown does have a large community around it, but perhaps, but we, do not. Uh, we are one of the centers that is mostly university focused and research exchange focused. Uh, but although we, of course, I think we have a very large depository of oral histories, as Vinish said, uh, which I invite anybody, they'll open at the Portuguese Oral History Project of the Bancroft. Um, but, but, and so we do have community based things. Well, that uh, that we sponsor, but again, uh, it's not exactly the main purpose mm -hmm. of, of our existence. Sure. The, the idea of partnering with community organizations, though, to host certain ones, and that's a great that's a great idea because it, it takes it to the people, right? Because um, yes, Berkeley is hard to navigate sometimes, <laughs> for sure. Anyone else, Dr. Paula? Sure. If I could step in for a second. So um, I'll use the example um, of an event that we had prior to on campus, prior to um, COVID-19. So two years ago, I, I should say that also that I'm, I'm also the faculty director of the Freedemans Portuguese American Archives on campus. So Two years ago, when I became faculty director, it was the anniversary of the archives, uh, the 10th anniversary. And so to celebrate that event, <clears throat> beside other things, we invited uh, a pianist, Inês Andraz, who's a classically trained pianist from Portugal. She's studying, she had studied in uh, Boston um, and earned her PhD. She gave a public performance. So this was a performance of classical music, classical Portuguese music, a Portuguese composer. Um, we had, uh, it was, it took, the event took place in the middle of the week, uh, in the evening, yet we had over 80 people in, in attendance. Um, and the majority of them were actually <clears throat> from the community. So it was a well-received community event that was organized uh, between the center and the Freedemans Portuguese American Archives. Um, so the beauty of that was that we were able to bring this um, classically trained pianist to the campus. It, it really introduced um, a musical tradition that maybe is not pursued that much mm -hmm. 
within the Portuguese community. So a different perspective on music and the tradition of music within <clears throat> Portugal. Um, and, and the nice thing, I guess, that, that, that comes from that is, um, first of all, the, the question and answer period after the performance um, was remarkable, right? The engagement between the community members and the pianist. Um, but also Inês Andrade uh, is an organizer for the Bendada um, Youth Festival, uh, the Bendada Music Youth Festival in Portugal it takes place in July. And now what the center is hoping to do, uh, working with the PA on campus, is we're hoping to be able to um, have two scholarships for students from UMass Dartmouth uh, who study music to go there to the Bendada uh, Youth Music Festival um, so that we can you know, pay their transport and, and, and also um, their stay uh, and all the little fees involved. So it gives our students a different opportunity, right? It's, a, it's an international youth um, festival. So they'd be meeting students from not just Portugal, but all over. Uh, Europe predominantly, but but some other areas, and it's just a great opportunity for our students, and that's that's the beauty of it, right? That's where you have the community that comes to the to the uh, event, and then you have the center then taking it one step further and thinking, okay, and how can we how can we further enrich um, the the college community? One way is to then offer these um, sort of little mini scholarships because it's it's not that expensive to send students there. Um, and it's just a wonderful opportunity all around. Um, so, and given that we are a public institution uh, in Massachusetts and that we are surrounded by a densely populated, you know, folks of Portuguese descent, um, it's important that we try to engage students from our college to go to Portugal uh, uh, and, and to participate in studies. Language studies, yes, but all studies, really cultural studies that involve many things, including music. Thank you. Denise? I, well, I, yeah, well, go ahead. someone else, I, I can go ahead and jump in. I just, um, to answer your question, um, sort of what everybody said, but uh, in our case, and because of the newness of it, we found lots of success with our a partnership with our Jordan College of Agricultural Science and Technology. So you kind of have to find your niche and our niche, as uh, some of you know, in the Central Valley, Frank knows as well, which is the um, the agricultural community. The Portuguese Americans um, in, in the Central Valley are basically still are an agricultural community. And so um, we, by partnering up with lots with the Jordan College of Agricultural Science and Technology, and uh, having events that have to do with the Portuguese American presence, even the history of the Portuguese in, in, in the agricultural community in California, um, uh, done by Dr. Uh, Al Graves and others who have researched it and bringing those folks to the university, that is a way that usually reaches out to the community. So any event that we have that's tied around the agricultural history of the Portuguese in California, will have 150 people easy. Um, any events that we have is as far as a speaker series that focuses on the Azores, um, we will have, you know, a couple hundred people as well. Um, so if it's uh, tied to both of those, we have had uh, lots of uh, success. Obviously, everything changed with uh, 
with COVID, and we had just been in operation for about a year. But we have found that the Zooms have uh, been able to build a bridge with the community. So we've been reaching through some of the events, uh, and just not too long ago, uh, Andre did a talk for us, um, and uh, we had a tremendous success in uh, uh, having uh, folks follow it and, and comment and participate, and and students uh, actually uh, also tune into it later on, um, because the talk was, was uh, on something that was, of course, uh, very relevant to the Portuguese American experience in California, which is uh, uh, Eduardo Mayon Dias. And so the, um, we found that through uh, we have through Zoom we're able to reach a wider audience. Obviously, everyone is not just us, um, but it's also a way to bring in folks uh, of different uh, um, uh, uh, different generations. So sometimes we forget that when we say we need to reach the the younger generation or we need to reach the first or second generation of Portuguese Americans, we automatically think they're younger. But some mm -hmm. cases are not in the valley. You know, we have folks who are a third generation who are in their seventies and eighties. You know, and so it's an older community mixed in with some younger community. And so there's a mixture of that. Obviously, as Yulinda said, the oral history always brings the community together. Um, it is important. It showcases the community and showcases the history. And so that is something that we are going to continue to, to work on. It's, uh, we have a 10-year project with the oral history. We're on the second year with the COVID in the middle. Um, and the partnership with other organizations is important, as, as, including with organizations outside of the Portuguese-American community. So we're partnering, for example, uh, for... Uh, series of events with Art Americas. They're a Hispanic organization in Fresno, very, very well known, but uh, they're interested in partnering up with the Portuguese Beyond Borders Institute to uh, have a couple of events focusing on the Portuguese American presence and on Portugal itself. So uh, we're, we're investigating that venue of having a um, of having a, a partnership with other organizations that are not Portuguese. Um, we're uh, partnering up with the Armenian Studies, for example, uh, for a couple of reasons. One of them is Pedro de Silveira, uh, which uh, most of you know, who uh, is uh, coming up on his 100th birthday, if he was with us. And, and Pedro uh, had a, uh, his, his, his uh, father had a connection with, with, uh, Williams, with the William Soroyan family. So we're looking at these uh, different uh, venues that we can partner up to reach other communities and to talk about the Portuguese American experience in the Valley. Thank you. I you can start. go ahead, Sylvia, okay. please. Uh, quickly, uh, being, uh, being 15 years old, um, I would say that the, the Institute looked around at all of the, all of the uh, wealth of knowledge and experience that we have here in this panel and, uh, and tried to find its own niche, like, like uh, others have said. Um, and I, I would say that uh, the, the, because the Institute at Rhode Island College, because it lives in the community, because it was, uh, um, it was generated by members of the community who were at the time, 2006, 2002, 2006, were at the time uh, students at Rhode Island College. Uh, the mobilization at Rhode Island 
college was was a fan faculty um, and uh, different members of the of the community to develop uh, Portuguese at Rhode Island College, both academically and institutionally. Um, so this this was really a grassroots movement uh, uh, at Rhode Island College. Uh, again, also a, a public uh, university, a public college. So because of that, the element of connection to the community is very important at Rhode Island College. And that's why we have a very active uh, board of uh, advisory board uh, of community members. Uh, and then we have a faculty advisory council of uh, faculty from Rhode Island College. But uh, once the, the, that connection uh, started and, begun, and began by members of the community and was developed by members of the community into Rhode Island College, that connection maintained. And uh, the Institute uh, has been very involved with the Day of Portugal organization, for instance. Um, and directly involved with many of the Portuguese organizations uh, in Rhode Island, but not only Portuguese organizations, because the, the makeup of, of the Rhode Island society uh, of, port, of Portuguese language, let's say, Portuguese language heritage, is also uh, Cape Verdean. The connection of the Institute to the Cape Verdean uh, community is also uh, very significant. And interestingly, the, the profile of our students is exactly, at Rhode Island College, is mirrors very close the profile of the Portuguese, very diverse uh, um, uh, student population. Um, I don't know if you can, I'm getting some notices. Okay. Uh, we have a very diverse student population and a very diverse connection to the community and community presence at Rhode Island College. Mm -hmm. Sylvia has a, a strained connection. One thing that I will point out, no, not better. You just keep cutting out a little bit, so it's Sorry okay. About that. That's okay. I'll I'll end I'll end in a, in a couple of uh, seconds. One thing that uh, is our focus is mentorship of our students uh, into their uh, studies and post studies after the after the, the the undergraduate level so that has become the focus of our uh, efforts at the institute together with the academic program is student mentorship thank you we are coming to an end but i do want to hear from andre and then frank as well um, and then we can end with some final thoughts yeah I just want to add something. So uh, I want to answer your question through a different angle. And as a very, let's say, isolated member of the community, because yeah. we don't really have a community right. in, in this area. Uh, so I want to, sh to share a personal experience. I came to California in 2017. I had never been here before. Uh, and quite frankly, before starting to follow and offering my little contribution to PBBI, I wasn't really aware of community life in California, but I had opportunity to know more about it. And I truly thank Dinesh uh, for doing all it does. And it clicked something important. You know? uh, I basically knew nothing first hand. 
And these events often took me to parts of society I wasn't familiar with. And I, I really picked up a lot from many people. Uh, at the same time, uh, Onesim and Yulina also made very good points. So a part of why, what I do in, in the center um, on a daily basis natural, naturally has, has to do with academic work. And academic work is often locked in a bubble and you know, does not focus on or relate to the life of communities. But another part of our effort has to do with the responsibility to maintain a cultural, culturally active presence capable of doing what we have to do in terms of promote, promoting Portuguese culture. And I think that our task, and particularly my task, uh, would be greatly helped if there's someone willing to serve as a kind of a close liaison between academic institutions and diaspora networks, you know, mm -hmm. particularly, I'd say, in terms of resources and, and influence. And that's what I, I wanted to add. So I have a kind of an ambiguous double experience uh, because I learned a lot by, by, by um, going to the events organized in, in, in other centers. And, you know, I try to make them my role models for, for the future. It's mm -hmm. a great suggestion. And I would say that maybe Palkas could serve in that yeah. capacity yeah. to an extent, for sure. Um, Frank. Yeah, I just wanted to say uh, something about in relation to the question, in response to your question, you know, what has been successful in terms of the community? And I would say the archive uh, that uh, we've developed recently in the last year uh, has, has really resonated with the community. We've got an amazing number of collections even during COVID, uh, and that's going extremely well. And it, that's reaching out to the immigrant generation, second, third, and even fourth generations that we're working with now, people donating their collections, mm -hmm. amazing collections of documents, et cetera. So that has really resonated with the community. So and that is something that really only university can do. I mean, you know, who can put together an archive? It really has to be a university. And I think the community understands the role that a, uh, that a university can have in promoting its interest, in promoting its history and culture. And the other thing are exhibitions. We've run several exhibitions, uh, two of which were specifically related to the history and culture of the Portuguese in Lowell. And we had tremendous uh, uh, number of people who came out to these events. And they were held at the Lowell National Historical Park. And uh, Denise talked about partnerships earlier. This is really important. The Lowell National Historical Park after the university is probably the most important public institution in Lowell. And it is an institution that has never held anything Portuguese. And so all of a sudden we had two exhibitions there and, and we had an amazing turnout for those that, you know, 150 to 200 people showed up. And we invited the Holy Ghost marching band to perform at the park. Uh, there's a, a, a beautiful outdoor uh, uh, park there uh, 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 at this park. And they, so it was the first time. So there have been Portuguese marching bands in Lowell for over 110 years. And it was the first time that a Portuguese band had performed at the park, a place That's that I crazy. think the community always saw was far away from it, it's distant, that it's only a mile from the community and the, the center of the community. And so I think these things really bring enthusiasm to the community. They feel that visible, a community that has often been considered invisible. And so we also organized concerts. We had, we had Marisa two years ago, right before the pandemic, and we had 1,200 people come to this. 
And a very sizable percentage were not Portuguese, probably at least a third to a half. And so it was a way to introduce Portuguese music uh, to a population, to a region that never paid any attention to Portuguese music. And so it, we now have a, a mailing list, an email list of over 7,000 people, many of them not non-Portuguese who are simply interested. And so that really builds support for everything else that we do uh, in terms of promoting things Portuguese, when you can also reach out to the non-Portuguese and have them feel like they have a stake in what you are doing. So, I, I, but in terms of reaching out to the community, those are the two things, major concerts, uh, exhibitions, and I think the archive that, that brings together the different generations, including the oral history. We've been interviewing people that are third and fourth generation uh, in terms of the oral histories. And so that has brought people together, I think more than anything else, uh, the, the, the things that I just enumerated. Thank you, Brink. You bring up a great point that we can't underestimate the interest of non-Portuguese in things Portuguese, right? And we even discussed this on a panel, a previous panel about language and that language programs, whether it's at the you know junior high or even high school level, it's not just for the Portuguese community, it's for, for everybody. So um, yeah. I just wanted, you know, we also have to also be, be cognizant of the fact that all of us have budgets budgets that are set by our by our board or by our sponsors and that designate exactly how we're going to spend the money that we're given and unfortunately and i'm so happy that frank got to hire marisa we would all have 1200 people but not many of us have the budget that we can allocate to get a top name artist such as that uh so we need to sometimes uh, be very creative on, on and that to me is through partnerships uh, the, the the only way we can make more things happen be it with the community the portuguese community be with the academic community because i also think it's very important that the academic community is cognizant of the presence of the portuguese in california that uh, we one of the the, my pet peeves is that there's no mention of the contribution of the Portuguese in California history. And we were the found, I'm not we, our ancestors were the founders of agriculture uh, in, in California. We're not the only ones, but we were definitely there. And that is, is totally erased from California history. So um, perhaps uh, in, maybe this is something that Palkas can, uh, can assist, but to, to connect uh, different areas, political connections to, to you know, local and statewide to Portuguese centers so that we can do events that to which these people are invited that are not specifically talking about political involvement, mm -hmm. but that but everything is politics. You know, the air we breathe is politics. So if we want to grow our presence and our visibility, we, we need to be open to all sorts of things. And there are many things that, that Palkas can intervene. We, especially in California, we have a well-established web. It, it's a question of bringing everybody into the web and not yeah. just a few people into the web. Uh, and, and that's what's really important. It is important to have centers that are catered to the community that's extremely important. It keeps cohesiveness, but it is also important to, to maintain centers that are 
targeting uh, high-level research and and uh, high-level uh, research teams and uh, and works of that type. So I think we need to think of a wider community. Mm -hmm. uh, the Portuguese are everywhere in every field. We're all community uh, and not try to separate them as much. I think going forward, this may be simplified and facilitated because I do not see that we're going to go to present only conferences ever again. I think all mm -hmm. conferences from now on will be hybrid. And mm -hmm. so, which is a great thing. If we have anything good that came out of this insanity, uh, perhaps that may be it. So uh, I, I think it's time for all of us to be uh, a little bit creative and and just think totally outside of the box. Uh, we we have something totally outside of the box, uh, that wonderful dinner at Uma Casa, who mm -hmm. would have thought? And mm -hmm. it worked beautifully. It, it was a great event for all of us. Mm -hmm. you know, so it's just an example. And again, thank you for sponsoring this. Yes, sure. I just want to chime in quickly about the Marisa event. We raised three times what it cost to bring Marisa in. So it was actually a fundraiser for our center. I just wanted to, to, to say that. And that's a, a great um, uh, point to make, Frank, is that, uh, you know, there's lots of different ways to, to have fundraisers. And I think we're whether you're a university center or a, a local club, <laughs> or even Palkas, we're always looking for different ways to, to fundraise. Um, we do have a comment here on Zoom. It says, we also have Portuguese museums that showcase our culture and heritage, which is absolutely true. You know, we've already mentioned the Whaling Museum, uh, but Mary Alshake is here from the, um, the Portuguese Historical Museum in San Jose. Um, and I will say even, you know, Palkas, we get a lot of requests for uh, where can we donate our collections of things. So, um, you know, good to know that these, the centers, for example, Frank, like, like yours will take collections. So um, we are at our time. Um, I think it would be important to, you know, we, I, as I said, with each session, have an action item for our viewers um, watching this session. So we'll go around the, the screen here. And if you could just take, you know, 20 seconds to give an action item to our viewers. And if that is, if you're a president of the club and you want us to partner with something, reach out to us or look us up and share our programs with your, your members. Or if it is, you know, anything that you think would be helpful to, um, you know, increase the engagement for your, for your organization, for your center, um, it could be anything. So we'll start with Donezimo. You're on Zoom, you're on a mute, sorry. Sorry, in four <laughs> hours, uh, Brianna Medeiros will give a lecture at the fourth of the William Museum Portuguese uh, uh, lecture series. <clears throat> She'll be talking about Isorian and Cape Verdean, and it will be a most interesting topic for uh, people uh, interested. Brianna Medeiros, William Museum, to all of you, I'll send the link, and uh, that's it for now. Thank you. Sylvia. Ooh. Keeping with the mentorship idea, uh, something that already happens on a regular basis, we are contacted constantly by local organizations of all areas from the health services to, to uh, cultural organizations, uh, asking us very simply, do you have any students who might have internship uh, needs who speak Portuguese and who are fluent uh, culturally and uh, linguistically? Uh, so they already reach out to us. Uh, anyone who might be, uh, who is listening, who might have those needs, uh, 
do reach out to us because that is one thing that, that we do very, uh, very well. And we provide mentorship on our side and we uh, expect then the, the industry to uh, continue the mentorship on their side. That's great. Andre? So uh, basically, I just want to say, reach out, you know, Santa Barbara, UC Santa Barbara is a great school. Santa Barbara is a great place. We are a bit far from uh, Portuguese American communities. However, we are open to, to be part of, of this network, you know. So basically, that's, that's what I want to say. Um, reach out. Thank you. Denise. Uh, well, uh, thanks to all of you. I've learned a lot. Uh, I took a lot of notes. Uh, and I love the uh, mentorship uh, idea, Sylvia, and I'm going to get all of you to get more information on that. I, I believe that um, uh, just one quick thing, it's a very California thing, but uh, the, our governor just approved, and it kind of goes in the line with what Julina said, our governor just uh, uh, approved the ethnic studies course as mandatory for high school students starting in 25, 26. BBBI is starting a task force. And of course, Julinda will be on it, I hope. And um, we need to have, um, we need to make a, a big effort. Uh, that uh, ethnic studies course, of course, will be, as it should be, very, very uh, heavy to Hispanic Americans and Asian Americans and Native Americans. But there has to be at least one week out of the semester for the Portuguese American experience, including in agriculture, technology, education, et cetera. So we're going to start up a task force. We have three politicians behind us. So hopefully we can get something done. Excellent initiative. And I'm, as a local Californian, I will, I will help. Oh, you're, you're already on it. And I'm Palcos, already on it. So yeah. That's, that's, and then a, that's a done help. deal. Yes. And Palcos will help as well. Um, Paula. So I would um, end by saying that uh, happily I can I can relate uh, to to our listeners um, that in this budget uh, this new budget year um, the center was allotted two hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars by the state legislators I'm very very thankful and very appreciative of that one of the things that I am committed to doing. Uh, in terms of using the 250,000 is as I would like to work with other community groups, other community members. So if you are on the board of an organization and there are activities that you would like to do, but have not found a partner that could help you fund those activities, uh, reach out to the Center for Portuguese Studies and, and Culture. Um, that, is a, that is a priority for me. Uh, to work with community organizations. And so um, I would say that you will be helping us as much as we can help you. Thank you. It's a great ask. No, not, not, not everybody can offer money. <laughs> <laughs> I was right, going to ask for some. I was going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just I want to remind everyone that at UMass Lowell Center for Portuguese Studies, SAB Center for Portuguese Studies, SAB, is uh, organizing a lecture today at 5 p.m., a virtual lecture uh, with Paul Manuel of American University on Portugal's reaction and how Portugal, uh, in, in many ways, reacted beautifully to COVID and, and is a shining star in terms of how to deal with, with, with the pandemic. That's at 5 p.m. today. And of course, I want to you know, remind everyone how important Palcas is and hopefully 
everyone will continue to promote and uh, sponsor Pelkis, help sponsor Pelkis and the great work that it does. So thank you, Angela, for the invitation. Thank you, Frank. I'll pay you later. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to remind yes. everybody that to collaborate um, among us and among with the community, different different member different areas of the community uh, because truly uh, that's the only way we're all going to survive and uh, and that that's super important we are always better together uh, sometimes we portuguese tend to think that if someone else is better then you're worse but really together we're always better uh, and so just give it a try. It's not, don't be afraid, <laughs> collaborate. There is a poem by Alam Oliveira that I uh, like to quote a verse from. It is, os açorianos dão-se as mãos para se fazerem flutuar. Azorians hold their hand, hold hands so they can fluctuate above water. So uh, we are so, so few and so far, uh, uh, so dispersed in the, throughout the US that, uh, we have to, we have done it. We have, and by the way, Palkus should get connected with Dinesh and have him resurrect their uh, uh, Portuguese heritage symposia. And it was the great, a great way of having all of us get together and think about, uh, write, talk about uh, Portuguese American issues from history, from uh, in areas of history, culture, literature, etc. And it was an amazing job he did then. and. Uh, he should now that he is now in, uh, in, uh, at uh, Cal Fresno, uh, he should do it and Palkus should uh, uh, get involved and uh, it, it will be a great thing to, to get going again. Denise, I think Onesimo just gave us another project. You can ask to work from, on. Ask them, <laughs> ask, get some money from Paula. <laughs> I was well. We used to get some money also from Jolinda uh, when we had. Uh, she was a great supporter uh, when when we did it for twelve years. Um, but but indeed, I, I and and Frank presented his book that was many years ago. I, I don't know if Frank remembers that uh, at one of the symposiums when he was uh, good. Yes, so um, indeed, there, we do need a few more of those opportunities. Thank you all. I was just going to, if there's anyone from San Jose here, think of building a center at the university, at San Jose State University. There's a place that should have a center. Yes. But as always, it's always been, it has always been a very complicated case there, but yeah. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm going to, uh, uh, and I'm going to try to find a famous brother so I can also be Irmão do Padre Manuel. <laughs> I'm, I am known in Turlock as a friend of Father Manuel and one of the guys who appreciates his humor. Uh, uh, he is next to Onesimo, the storyteller that I've known, that I know. He has great jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he does. Well, and on that note, God bless all of our brothers who are priests. Um, and <laughs> thank you all for joining. Thank you all for watching. Um, this is just the beginning of this discussion, and we will uh, we will be following up with reports and action items and more sessions and all of that. Um, visit us all at uh, palkus.org to watch uh, recordings of all of these. Visit our YouTube channel, and of course, become a member. Um, and with that, we will say thank you very much, everybody. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Un abrazo. Até breve. Ciao. Thank you.